the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. Yes, we all wish for things to happen. Or maybe for something to just change. Like when we were kids, we wished that we were grown up. Yet once we grew up, well, we wish we were kids again. Go figure that, huh? I guess it's true what they say. Better be careful what you wish for. Why is that? It might just get it. Many people will just wish instead of simply praying. And there's multiple ways that people wish. First, we have the once a year birthday wish. That's right. But we only get that wish if we blow out all the candles. Then there's the Thanksgiving day wish. That's when we grab the famous turkey wishbone and whoever gets the biggest half when we break it apart, you win the wish. And then there's the wishing well wish. Okay, this is based on any body of water that people have thrown coins into. Now, it doesn't matter if there's a sign that says don't throw coins here, because if there's coins in that water, the unwritten law of humanity is that has now become a wishing well. And the bigger the coin, the better the chance you have of getting your wish. And then there's a, it could happen any night wish. What wish is that? That's when you're walking at night and you see a falling star. The rules here are very simple. If you see the star, you make the wish. See, I like that. Simplicity, okay? And just what do people wish for? Well, they wish for everything. Most of the time, it's for us like money. We want money. We wish we could win the lottery so that we could live in a mansion and drive a really cool car. Or we wish for fame and and popularity, to be known by everybody. Some wish for beauty. Why is that? Because they're tired of being on the beast end of beauty and the beast, okay? But some wish they could just travel more, while others wish they could just simply slow down a little bit. Yes, I'm sure we've all had our share of wishes, things that we've wanted things we've desired and craved for. Maybe some of your wishes have come true while others have simply vanished. But whatever the case, one thing for sure, even wishes that have come true, they only satisfy for a moment, just a while, and then we find ourselves wishing for something new all over again. Well, today, in light of our title, Wishing to Be Well, let's look at our first point, the loss of hope. As we read together, starting in John chapter five, we'll pick up in verse one, of course. It says, 
Now, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool, and he stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been there 38 years in his sickness. Well, we'll stop there for just a moment. Notice in verse one, it said, after these things. Well, after what things? Well, as you know, back in chapter four, Jesus spent time in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus drew the faith out of a royal official who instead of getting Jesus to come to his house to lay hands on his son and heal his son, Jesus rather challenged this man to believe that he could simply speak the words and the healing would be done itself. The Bible said that Jesus looked into the eyes of this desperate father who was pleading for his own dying son. And he said to him, go, your son lives. That man took that by faith and he took off. And yes, his son was healed. A real faith, understand, doesn't have to see, but it always, always has to believe. Now, Jesus went back to Jerusalem for a feast. Now, it doesn't tell us what feast here. There were three major feasts of the Jews every year. The first was the Passover. The second was the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And the third was the Feast of Booths. Now, The Passover celebrated God's judgment passing over his people while still in Egypt. Okay, you remember the scenario, right? It's like God had brought multiple plagues down upon Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he says, no, I'm not letting your people go, Moses. It's like, these are my people and they're my slaves. So God kept sending plague after plague after plague. And finally, the final plague that broke the camel's back, you could say, was that God was going to send the angel of death into Egypt. And the firstborn of every Egyptian would die. But to protect his own people, God allowed his people to slay a lamb and put the blood upon the doorpost and the lintel of the house. And when the angel of death came to any of the Jewish households that obeyed God's word and applied the blood to their doorposts, the angel of death would pass up and over their house and their firstborn would not die. So this was in celebration, remembering the Passover. And then, of course, there was the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which Uh, was 50 days after they were delivered there from the Passover and they got out of Egypt and they found themselves where they found themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai set free from slavery. Now, Pentecost, by the way, means 50th day. So it was 50 days after the Passover when Jesus was killed, died on the cross and rose again from the dead to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. Then there was the third feast, which is the Feast of Booths. 
This celebrates God's people camping in the wilderness as God gave the law to Moses in renewing the covenant that God had made between himself and Israel. Now, we're not told here, again, what feast this is, but it appears to be the Feast of Pentecost. Since Jesus was at the Passover, uh, which we were told earlier, uh, midway through chapter 2, and that went through chapter 3. So now our text picks up here, again, what appears to be the uh, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, he's in Israel once again. So our text picks up here with him being at a pool near the Sheep Gate. Now, I have been here at the Sheep Gate multiple times. The Sheep Gate was uh, built back in Nehemiah chapter 3, which ironically, we will be in Nehemiah chapter 3 in our midweek study this coming Thursday. But its use was found in its very name. There, this is where they would bring sheep into the stonewalled city of ancient Jerusalem. They were bathed and they were prepared to be offered as sacrifices for the sins of the people. Remember, the Bible says back in Leviticus that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And instead of God requiring our blood for our own sins, you know, in the Old Testament, God allowed the blood of an animal to literally cover our sin where he would not see it. Could you imagine if we still offered up animals as sacrifices for our sins with as much sin as there is in the world here today? At what point do we simply run out of animals to sacrifice? Okay, hey, I've got some sin. Well, there's no more animals. We've done killed them all already. Yet here in John chapter five, we have Jesus the long-awaited Messiah, get the picture here, standing by the sheep gate. And again, how ironic is that? Because Jesus, who the Bible refers to as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, and he is now standing in the very place where lambs were brought in to be sacrificed. Listen to how Isaiah the prophet spoke of the coming Messiah back in Isaiah, his own book, self-entitled book that was written 750 years earlier. It says in Isaiah 53, 7, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah Savior. Yes, Jesus was likened to the sacrificed lamb who entered through the sheep gate. But Jesus, as you know, would be slain later for the sin of the world. But yet here in John chapter 5, Jesus has quite the different plan. There was a purpose for him stopping this day, on this day, at this moment, at the pool of Bethesda. For he was on what you could say was a mission of mercy. There was a reason for his visit today. Know this, the very name Bethesda means house of outpouring or house of mercy. And that's exactly what's about to happen here. For Jesus has singled out a man who was looking for an outpouring. He was looking for an outpouring of God's mercy on his own life in the form of a healing. And he's been looking for it for a very, very long time. Now, 
Verse 5 said it was 38 years. Think about that. That's longer than some of you have even been alive. This man is tired. He's feeble and he's diseased. Who knows how old he was when he first came down with this ailment. So he could be an elderly man. He could be 60, 70 years old. Who knows? And he's surrounded by a host of others who were sick, blind, and lame. Is this not a picture really of really the state of the people in Israel already? I mean, everyone's walking around. Most people are healthy and strong. They're thinking everything's good. But really, the spiritual condition of Israel in this time was they were sick, blonde, and lame. Kind of like America today. We can all look around and think, oh, no, everything's good. The economy's going pretty good. i am got relatively good health, and everything's great. But really, the whole spiritual condition of our country is a little sick, blind, and lame. Now, this group of people here, getting back to our text here, you know, society had completely forgotten about them. I think it's safe to say that there was a lot of misery, you could say, in the air. Maybe they all felt like they had been shortchanged in life. I wonder if there's anyone here present today that maybe you feel kind of the same way kind of shortchanged in life because of some issues that are happening with you. Maybe you feel like you've been given the the bitter end of life, you could say. I'm sure if you could tell your story, maybe there would be many of us that would agree with you. And if that's the case, I just want you to know that I'm sorry that things haven't quite worked out like you anticipated. But we must remember, though, in life, we have to understand that it's not always going to be a bowl of cherries. It's not always going to be sweet. For there are many times that great sorrow and pain really sits at the very doorsteps of our own hearts. You know, it's been said that those who can measure their life by loss instead of gain will through their suffering have the most to give to others this side of heaven. Did you hear that? If you can look at your life and you can measure your life in more loss than gain and through your suffering and the path that you've had to endure, you will have the most to give to others this side of heaven. Yes, if we have ears to hear during the time of hardship in our lives, there are many valuable lessons that we can learn through the valley of despair. Yet we must grasp this. Jesus will never abandon us in the midst of our valley experience because those valleys that we find ourselves in that turn into deserts, this is what Jesus has spoken to us in the midst of those times. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, these things I've spoken unto you that in me, you might have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, hardship, difficulty. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Boy, I mean, what a word that is. One of the things that you'll find when you're on that path of pain is you'll find yourself closer to the Lord than you'll ever be in times of great blessing. Because the Lord is the only one you have to cling to in that time. And like he said, be of good cheer. That's when you'll find my peace. It was Oswald Chambers that said this quote, God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome with the ability of what he enables us with. 
See, we are able to overcome because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But that's when we find that, when we're pushed up to the brink of this giving up, when we're pushed farther than we think we could ever get. God says, no, this is when my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's in that moment. What a reminder that is for those of us who are true Christians, for there is strength in the struggle. There is strength to be had in the strains of life. God is there. And you might think, well, what does that even mean? It just means that the very thing that we think is going to break us and crush us, that is the very thing that God many times will use to make and mold us into what he desires us to be. Not what we desire us to be, but God has a purpose and a place and a particular area that he wants us to thrive in. And God uses those areas of pain to get us to that place. Again, the making of a man, the making of a woman of God is not made at a day spa while we're being pampered and massaged, but rather the true faith of a true man or a woman of God is refined as we go through the fires and the difficulties of this life. And for those of you who have had your hopes shattered in the loss in the past of things that have happened, let me ask you, has it made you a better person or has it made you a bitter person? Because there is not many other options out there. We're either become better through the hardship or very bitter. I like what Margaret Clarkson said. It's a great reminder for all of us. She said this quote, the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering heart must cling to. See, it's those times that you're pushed. It's those times that you're stressed. It's those times that you find yourself sinking in the quicksands of life. That's like, that's when we have to reach out and grab onto the cross. They say, God, I'm not letting go. I have to stay here. That's where God reveals his power. That's again, amen. That's again where his power is made perfect in our weakness. Are we not weak? I know we like to feel like we're all strong. I am empowered. I am this person. I can do all things. All, okay, that that's, sounds all good. But the reality is we're afraid at times. The reality is, you know, we're not sure where we're going. The reality is we don't know what the future looks like. And that's okay. But when the believer puts his faith and his trust in the all-powerful, all-seeing God, his path will always find its way. Always, always, not a maybe, always. But getting back to our text, I'm not sure after 38 years of suffering, if this man, you know, wasn't full of bitterness. I think he was. I think he was bitter from top to bottom. You know, and he doesn't take long to spill out his bitterness. For we read about what appears to be this hocus pocus that starts at the end of verse three and goes through all of verse four. Notice it says an angel would come down and stir the water. Now, eventually and evidently, you know, when this water was moving, the first one in, you get the healing. You're miraculously touched at that moment. 
Yet, if you'll notice, though, in your Bible, there's parentheses around the end of verse 3 all the way through verse 4. Now, why are those parentheses there? It's because in the earliest and the best Greek manuscripts of the scripture here, that part about the angels stirring the water doesn't even exist there. It was added later. But according to verse 7, though, the man was waiting for the water to be stirred. So there's something that would happen that the people thought, and maybe it was just urban legend, who knows what, but there was something that happened when the water was stirred. Maybe it was caused by the spring water that fed this little pool. The water was rich in minerals, and some thought there was medicinal value in it. But whatever the case, this man believed in his own heart. If I can get to the water first while the water is still moving, I can be healed. And as we've already read, this man had been there for a very very long time, yet he wasn't able to get in. He was losing all hope. Man, everyone else gets in before me. It's like, man, no one's here to help me. I I can't get in the water. Just like some of us, we lose hope. We feel like there's no one there to help us. There's no one to give us a a little push and uh, someone to just get us over the hump or whatever. Maybe there's some here that have wondered to yourself, Why haven't my prayers been heard? You know, why is nothing changing in my life? How much longer will I have to live in my present hardship? I'm getting so tired of the same thing every single day. How long until my circumstances can be different than what they are and what they have been? Why is my life, you're saying to yourself, so difficult? Well, I wish I could answer all of your questions of why, but obviously I can't even answer one of them. Yet let's not forget what the Bible tells us in Proverbs thirteen twelve. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Yes, when we put hope or when hope is put off, maybe not by us, it just happens when hope is put off for a very long time, It can and will make our hearts sick. It can make us lose all sense of trust. It can make us lose all sense of expectation and thinking that somehow, someway, I'm going to get out of this mess. But yet it goes on to say, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Yeah, isn't it wonderful when desire happens, when it does come in, it's like, oh, it's like it just breathes life back into us. You know, I was working, trimming the bushes and all of this, and it was hot, and I was, I was just so dry, and my mouth was just like, <clears throat> you ever felt like that? You know, you're just like, <clears throat> you know, and I was standing in the garage, and I had a thing of waters in there, and I opened up one of the water, and I just took it, and I just guzzled the whole thing in like two seconds, and all of a sudden, it just, it felt like, okay, I got some more strength now. It's just amazing how just a, a, a bottle of water can change everything, but that's what desire fulfilled is like to a heart that's been lost in the deserts of problems and hardships and difficulties. It's like, it's like this fresh glass of water when you're just so dry and empty inside. We should never, ever, as believers, ever lose our hope, no matter what's happening around us. 
Because hope is defined as believing something is going to happen. And when you're a believer, something could happen. Things could change. It could happen instantly. It can just happen out of nowhere. It's a desire that's accompanied by expectation is what hope is. And for us as true Christians, we base our hope on what? The economy? On some elected official? No, we base our hope on the eternal God, the creator of everything seen and unseen. That's why we must totally surrender to him. We must surrender what our desires and thoughts are. You know, sometimes we push and we push and we push to go a certain direction in life. And we're so frustrated because I can't get any further in this direction. Have you ever thought, just another thought here, have you ever thought that maybe you're going in the wrong direction? If every time you're hitting a closed door and it's locked and bolted and you keep battering against it and beating yourself against it, have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, you're going on the wrong path? And maybe God's trying to keep you from even further hardship and pain? Just a thought, throwing it out there. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.